There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm producer Rihanna Cruz. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And today we are doing another edition of our series, Chartbreakers, the show where we look at new and notable things happening on the charts. Today we're going to hear about some things in the world of TikTok and some things in the world of Taylor Swift. But I want to start today with something that I've noticed about songs that have been popping up on the charts recently. We've obviously seen, you know, a continuous stream of Latin music on the Hot 100 for several years now. But on the recent editions of the Hot 100, there's been a particular influx of a certain categorization of Latin music. And that's Mexican regional. This brings me back to my days living in Southern California, but you're telling me this is happening all over the place. It is, and I'm not the only one to notice. 12% of the Hot 100 right now is Mexican regional. Hmm. And to talk about Mexican regional, I thought we would bring in an expert, host of NPR's Alt Latino and dear friend of mine, Ana Maria Sayer. Hi, Ana. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about my favorite thing ever. Absolutely. Hi, Anna. (laughs) Hey, Rihanna. How's it going? (laughs) It's going good. So, Anna, what exactly is Mexican regional music? Oh, you start me off with a really hard question. Um, (laughs) So some people would call it a genre. It's not really. It is quite literally what it sounds like. It's referring to a group of genres that are all regional to certain parts of Mexico. So when we think about regional here in the U.S., yeah, generally it's easier to just group it together as a term that refers to to all of these genres that come out of the northern part of, of the country, as well as the southern part of the U.S. Really what it is, is it was used kind of as a marketing term by labels, by people, execs in the U.S. who didn't really know what to do with the music. It encompasses Norteño. It encompasses banda. It encompasses corridos. These are all genres that have lived in the northern part of Mexico for a long time. And now it's something that I think people are becoming a little more aware of the differences. But yeah, basically just a bucket term. Ana, you call it a catch-all term. Is it also like a radio format? Is this a way of packaging a bunch of different music into one kind of airplay? 
Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you'll hear people kind of refer to this in different ways, depending on where you are within the U.S. as well. Um, So if you talk to someone in Mexico, like, they're never going to package it as regional because that that doesn't mean anything to them. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely something that that I would say more mainstream US-wise was used as as a packageable term. So even though this is not one genre, are there any hallmark sounds that we hear perhaps across Mexican regional music? You might hear accordion, you might hear a lot of brass, like tuba and trumpet, things like that. You might hear like 12-string guitars that are pretty characteristic and amazing, these vocal harmonies that come when you have a larger group. The one thing I will say is that um, the lyricism is always really strong. There's always a lot of storytelling involved. Mm. Generally, I would say stories of the heart, always. In terms of straight-ahead corridos, it's like, you know, you have your guy drinking at the bar and La Rancho wearing his boots being like, she left me, blah, blah, blah. So that's like a huge characteristic of it. That's always a key piece of this <laughs> genre. So like you said, there's a bunch of different subgenres inside the umbrella term of Mexican regional. Can you break a couple of those down? I mean, there's a lot. So you have banda, which is kind of like the bigger sounding, like when you think of Grupo Firme and they're 20 guys on stage and they've got <laughs> like the full brass section and the, all the guitars and they're super loud. And if you heard it, you would know it. The matching suits. Matching suits are literally a, an instrument that is part of banda. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> paso a paso fui subiendo en esta vida. So that's kind of like the bigger sound. You have Sirieno, which is more like stripped down, guitar based. If you know, like artist Danny Lux, he's doing a lot of that lately. Again, people will argue with me on this. My co-host Felix argues with me on this all the time. But Tejano <laughs> technically fits under it. A lot of the Tejano you would think of, the most famous obviously being Selena, um, had a little bit more of like an electro cumbia flair to it. You have Norteño, which is like very ballady, but also has has kind of like a cumbia sound to it. So there's really like a huge variety and a lot of it, again, is tied to specific like states within Mexico, basically. So it's really, really tied to to a people, to a region, Mm -hmm. to like a a history and a heart that comes from certain places. Super helpful for us to hear what's going on on the charts as not just... 12% of this music is representing all of Mexico, but rather uh, is coming from very different styles and sounds. It's been a long time goal to to try to break down a little bit more of what this is. And and it's been interesting to see the way that different streaming platforms and things are responding. Like I know Mm. Apple has a huge playlist that they named like Musica Mexicana, Mm. like not even regional. They just called it Mexican music, right? And it's like, I mean, Mexican music is extremely vast, right? And this is like one piece of one piece of one piece. 
Right. Surely you have like variations of like metal and punk and electronic music and just like every kind of genre is going to exist in Mexico. So, yeah, that's a even more inaccurate umbrella term. Yeah. I'm like, don't even get me started on the Chilango music scene. It's that's a whole (laughs) other thing. (laughs) So, Anna, before we dive into the songs that are on the charts right now, why do you think, you know, Mexican regional as a term is like having a moment on the radio and on the charts? What What is motivating this sort of push? I will tell you my theory. I think likely what this is, is because of streaming, because of these young artists who are making the genre really cool, because of an enormous increase of this young, young generation of Latinos in the U.S., U.S. born, oftentimes Latinos. And basically you have a whole generation of really, really young people in the U.S. who are Latinos, who care about this music and are now listening to it. And that's why we're seeing such an enormous build, I think, is is really related to, to what's happening here in the U.S. and these young people. And I will say, like, if you look at Peso Pluma, for example, he's touring right now and he's hitting... Texas and California like five times back and forth. <laughs> like it's really about what's happening here in this country and the way that it's bringing Mexico to the world. Well, speaking of Peso Pluma, that takes us to our first song, which peaked at number four on the charts. It's called Ella Baya Sola, and it's a collaboration between Peso Pluma and another group called Eslabon Armado. Compa. ¿Qué le parece esa morra? La cana bailando sola Me gusta pa' mí Bella Ella sabe que está buena Que todos andan mirándola So, Ana, right off the bat, what genre would you put this under? I would say that this very comfortably lies within the Corridos Tumbados bucket. Mm-hmm. It has been kind of an older genre, uh, something your grandparents listen to, uh, more melodic, a little ballady. Now, in recent years, starting probably popularized by Nathanael Cano first. He was the first young artist to really bring this to, to a larger audience. It's basically this mix of your super old corrido genre and you take kind of like hip hop and rap sensibilities and you mash them together, you speed it up. It has that kind of trumpety like in most of them. And you get a corrido tumbado, which is all of a sudden really cool and you can like wear Adidas and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's notable that the song has spent multiple weeks in the top 10 of the Hot 100 and doesn't really contain the hallmarks of pop production. Like, we don't have any electronics, there is no 808 bass, it doesn't even have like a chorus or any sort of real repetition in the lyrics. It is clearly like extremely narrative. It's full of hooks that my ear is like, oh, I've heard that hook again, but it's always under a new set of lyrics. And, and that very rarely happens on the charts. The only thing that I hear is like very contemporary is the production. It's very in your face. It's very bright. It's aggressive. It feels like it's mixed like a pop song, but it's not looking to like, quote unquote, crossover 
by mm-hmm. borrowing things that are already very cool on the Hot 100. It's just in its own lane. A hundred percent. I think the thing to me that is so fascinating about the explosion of, of Corridos Tumbados is that really the last time that we saw anything within this space have a big U.S. presence, like the thing that people think of as Selena, right? Because, you know, you think about 90s Latin pop and and people actually around the U.S. listening to, to Selena doing this kind of Tejano electrocumbia thing. She almost had to like US popify to make interesting to people. And there's none of that in this music. Even thinking of a song of hers like Techno Cumbia, you know, like it's it's right it's right in the name, like it's right in the song. She's bridging those those gaps, mm-hmm. you know, those culture mm-hmm. gaps. I mean, for me, what stands out about Ella Baila Sola is Peso Pluma's voice specifically. Yes. Which uh, Vulture editor Alex Suskin described once as being squeezed through a sieve, like kind of just wringing everything <laughs> out of it, you know? And I, I don't find it particularly like attractive to listen to, but it somehow works. You can hear it more clearly on Peso Pluma's recent session with Bisarap, which is stuck in my head. Like there's such a distinct texture to it that I think brings a lot to the production of whatever song he's in. So famously, Chalino Sanchez was one of the the most widely beloved uh, narco corrido artists. And famously, his voice was kind of like a little grating. And I think that this is something that historically the vocals of this genre, it's not always like the most straight ahead sweet voice to listen to. I think that's kind of part of the roughness of it sometimes Mm. is Mm. you're telling stories of the heart, you're telling stories of heart. I mean, this is like a genre that is so heart-wrenching and it's matched oftentimes by, I think, maybe imperfect vocals is the way I would say it in a way that I think you just want to be as loud and as intense and as emotional as possible and sometimes the the more imperfect voices are the the best ones to communicate that yeah a lot of the sound is in the the nasal cavity it's 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 very forward sounding and i think that perhaps it's also working because the production here is so thick right there's just so much instrumentation filling up so much space so if you want to be heard you got to be like way up in here Mm -hmm. and you gotta you gotta point through It has to be a voice that you can't not listen to. You can't look away. Mm. So we've talked a lot about Peso Pluma. We haven't talked as much about Eslabon Amado, 
But this collaboration between the two has them linking up for the first time. So, Anna, who are these guys? Why should we care? Peso Pluma is blowing up. He started making music a year ago um, and is now, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Charlie, your face is correct. Saying it's not too late. Yeah, it's been a wild ride for him, I would say. Um, he uh, he's from Guadalajara, which is not a Norteño city in Mexico. He uh, went to high school in San Antonio, Texas, uh, and is half Lebanese. <laughs> so he's kind of a lot of different things that are not necessarily characteristic of a Norteño artist. But I think in many ways, that is why he is representing this. I think it's important to look at this phenomenon as something that is very Mexican-American tied in many ways. Mm. And so for him to have that time in Texas makes sense in a lot of ways. Um, es la Urbano Armado, they're a band from Patterson, California. Um, so <laughs> same kind of thing in a way. Um, this kind of like Mexican-American group of kids bringing this to the world. They started a couple years earlier, but both of these artists or groups are are really young. Peso Pluma's 23. That's kind of really something that's super characteristic of what's happening with this explosion right now as well as everyone is super, super young who's participating. And they're bridge builders between cultures. I mean, it has a demonstrated success. Peso Pluma literally has eight songs on the Hot 100 right now. 8% of the chart <laughs> is Peso Pluma. Wow. And I feel like that's a number that's that's reserved for the Taylor Swifts of the world, right? The Rihanna's of the world. Or Beyonce drop. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you have to understand, like, in Mexico, Peso Pluma is, like, Beyonce level. Like, he mm. is, like, superstar celebrity status. Yeah. New royalty. Well, speaking of superstar celebrity, let's transition to another Mexican regional collaboration featuring none other than global superstar Bad Bunny, and his collaboration with Grupo Frontera, Un Por Ciento. Mm, different vibe. This track peaked at five on the Hot 100. Charlie, what do you think? Well, it makes me want to know again what style we're listening to within this umbrella category because this is a very different feel yeah i was so surprised well a when i heard bad bunny was going to be on that regional track but b when i heard what it was um so mm. this is him collaborating with grupo frontera which they again are one of these mexican-american bands they're coming to us out of texas and so this song norteño with maybe like a cumbia light uh mix to it it's it's something that's kind of like a straight ahead tejano cumbia if anything very characteristic of like the southern part of texas and the music that's come out of there again referencing back to like selena and all of these tejano mm. artists i'm hearing like uh the accordion you have the cumbia rhythm uh-huh. but yeah the sort of slower ballady kind of thing yeah the ballady piece of it is very key to any norteño music and it's it's also something that 
you get with a song like this that does have some of that cumbia feel as well. So it's it's an interesting marriage to me, and I am fascinating that this was the track that Bad Bunny chose to to participate in. <laughs> right, because of course he's Puerto Rican, and this is, would be far outside of uh, sort of the expected you know world of reggaeton or like Latin trap that we we know him for. Totally, and I mean him doing a regional song is not that surprising because like. A lot of other artists are hopping on it right now. It's what's really popular. Carol G had a regional track on her recent album. He's not the first reggaeton artist to get in on this. However, of all the things that you could do, I mean, Norteños don't really move. Like we said, they're hmm. ballady. How, what is the main cumbia rhythm? How does it go? It's like a da 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 da. It's like yeah, cha, ta, ta, ta. yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm like, if that makes sense, me singing it. <laughs> Maybe the reason that Bad Bunny fits so well in this track is that the cumbia rhythm layers really well with the dembo beat. Like even though cumbia and reggaeton don't originate in the same place, they have this rhythmic overlap that makes sense for a Bad Bunny track, even if coming from different cultural pathways. Yeah, so I mean, a cumbia is is, is originally a Colombian genre and before even that, it came over from from Africa on the slave trade. But it's something that has become like one of the most pervasive Latin American sounds, right? Like you have your Mexican cumbia, you have your cumbia just all over the map, the Caribbean, Central America, etc. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the influence is definitely present in much of Latin music because of how pervasive the genre is. And so when you look at regional, which is made up of polka and waltz and different things like that too there's the norteño is practically a cumbia but kind of mixed up a little bit so it does make sense i would say that there's a bridge there for sure super interesting factoid about the rhythm it's actually so it's a dance rhythm right like basically it's like this step back and forth i wish i could show it to you but you probably don't want to see that anyways but it's it's kind of like this back and forth step in and out and it was actually designed like i mentioned it came from the slave trade and it was designed as basically something people could dance to while in shackles so mm-hmm. that's the origin and that's what keep that's what ties it up that's what keeps it that tight is so that people can do that it's a da 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 that's pretty different, actually, from from a lot of the other beats you'll hear, too, coming out of the north of Mexico. Well, I think something else about this track that I find exciting is that it leans more into the mainstream pop production. Like right off the bat, we have like a reverb laden vocal, simple stripped back guitar intro, and it feels very at home in the world of other charting more ballady pop songs. I mean, and then when Bad Bunny comes in, the song totally flips and becomes super contemporary. I think the other worth noting here is thematically how contemporary it is. Like the the title itself, like un por ciento, one percent. He's singing a song talking about his phone being on one percent, like and talking <laughs> to this girl. So it's like, what what gets more contemporary than that? 
they're not just modernizing the sound, but they're modernizing the subject matter. We're not talking about our heartbroken caballero who's on the rancho waiting for his woman to come back. We're talking about Bad Bunny texting some girl and being on 1%. And I think they even do it in the way that they sing it. Like the melodies feel like they could be sung by Post Malone or certainly Bad Bunny who's singing them. They have this very 2020s sensibility in the melody. Also, I just want to know what he just said, where he goes, borracho a tu insta me metí. He's saying, like, I'm drunk looking at your Instagram. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever done King that before. Shit. King shit. We all know Benito's sitting there drunk looking at her Instagram. <laughs> and I will not say who her is because anyone who knows knows. <laughs> <laughs> We keep on moving. Let's keep on moving. So let's keep going down the charts. Peaking at 35, we have Te Queme by Fuerza Vejida. So right off the bat, we're hearing a lot of stuff that we already talked about, right? We're hearing the like mm-hmm. rough, you know, textured vocals. We're hearing the same, you know, brass heavy. Right, exactly, exactly. The brass forward production. Anna, what would you consider this? I'm going to go once again with Corrido Tumbado. Um, mm-hmm. This kind of has all of those characteristic sounds again um, that we talked about earlier with Ella Baila Sola. Like I said, you have that really funny, I don't know why this is characteristic of all of the Corridos Tumbados, but you have the like trumpet sound that I just did horribly, but that's there. You have the guitars for sure, like a a 12 string in there. It's like pretty guitar heavy. Again, like we talked about the vocals a lot and that is relevant here. It's every Mexican mix, I would say, always just goes super upfront on the vocals. It's just like a thing that everyone does. It's how Mexicans like to listen to their music. We want upfront vocals. It's pop music. Exactly. And it's really about the lyricism, too. You're getting really funny themes again here, like just these guys being like, when I roll up in my BMW, like you you pay attention to me, blah, blah, blah. And again, when you're talking about corridos mashed with like a hip hop kind of tone to it, they're not in the traje of, you know, the traditional banda garb. Like they are rocking designers and they know it and they want everyone to know it too. And that's characteristic of the music. Mm. I love these guys, Fuerza Regida. I they released a song earlier this year that really blew them up, Bebe Dame, which was with our friends that we just talked about, Grupo Frontera. Bebe, lo que te pido, ven, dame. And the thing that is really amazing to me, too, is like these songs work super produced and they work super stripped out. Like I actually know the guy who wrote this song and I've heard him perform it um, just himself in a 12 string and it holds 100 percent. Just the the way that these songs move, the way that the melodies are written, they're so strong. It doesn't really matter how much production you have on it. It, it still works either way. 
that usually is what defines a great song when you strip it down to just its bare bones does it still hold together and this definitely does well these three songs are not the only things tearing up the charts right now when we come back from break we're going to talk about some of the other trends that are peppering billboards hot 100 There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. So let's take a look at what else is happening on the Hot 100. As we've discussed on the show previously, the TikTok to Spotify to chart success pipeline is, you know, as strong as ever. I want to talk about a few examples on the charts now that made that jump, starting with Cupid by the K-pop group 5050. Everything old is new again because you could just like straight up mash this together with Love Fool by the Cardigans and I'm transported back, you know, two decades. I mean, they're the same concept, you know, Cupid, Love Fool. It all brings us down to that to that element, love. And and honestly, like we talked about, Anna, like heartbreak, you know? Also, like breaking to that rap break right there was giving me very like 2012 pop song energy. It's like you have your <laughs> bumpy chorus and then you're like, all right, let's break it down. <laughs> Phone in the rapper. I mean, most K-pop groups have, you know, a, a rapper that pops in, delivers a verse. But I, I agree, this whole song feels very 2012. I feel like some A&R was like, hey, can we get like a Nicki Minaj style 2012 <laughs> yes. drop in in the middle of this <laughs> pop song? It has completely that vibe. That is exactly, I'm like, and all I need is the beauty and the beauty. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Rihanna, bring us back. So what's going on? We got a little lost. We did. So Cupid is currently at 23, peaked at number 17 on the charts, and it spent 11 weeks on there. And it blew up originally on TikTok because of the sped up version. I never realized this. Rihanna, you did a whole amazing piece on the sped up phenomena, but I feel like 
part of what makes them so successful is our global exposure to the genre of hyperpop. It reminds me of hearing like Sophie's Lemonade. It has that really high pitch, ridiculous vocal. That's not even a sped up version. That's the original version. And now so when we hear sped up versions of pop songs on TikTok, it has this connection to that world of hyperpop, the you know, very avant-garde pop genre, which has been happening for about a decade now. Some songs that are also finding life on the Hot 100 based on their sped up counterparts include hits by legacy artists as well. No one is safe. Look at a song like Sure Thing. By Miguel. Sure thing is holding steady at number 14 with 44 total weeks on the chart. And the song came out all the way back in 2010. Anna, we were just reflecting on... Should we be going back to the, the golden early... era? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's crazy. And the song was even issued to U.S. pop radio in February. It is still being pushed, you know, 13 years after it's come out. And I, I think a, a huge part of it is like the lyrics are these, you know, corny, honestly, analogies that I, I see a lot on TikTok, you know, like like people with their partner being like, you'll be the cash, I'll be the rubber band. You know, it's 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 corny and it's silly and it, it appeals to like people making content, you know? Content music. That is a sad phenomenon. Is it, Charlie? Is it? <laughs> I'm a purist. I made a podcast about listening to music. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll think about it. Well, another legacy artist finding chart success in 2023 is the elusive chanteuse Lana Del Rey with Say Yes to Heaven. This is the exact opposite direction, though, Rihanna. Like, I feel like I've always thought of her music as Lana Del Cave. I'm going into a subterranean, crystalline, giant open space, and everything is slow and reverberated. This is the polar opposite of what we just heard. But how, this is also a TikTok thing? So let me drop some Lana lore on you real quick. I know you are more than a fan. Resident Lana Del Rey fan has logged on. So... The song is currently at number 90 and debuted at number 54 and has perhaps one of the weirdest journeys. So the song was originally recorded during sessions for Lana's album Ultra Violence, which came out all the way in 2014. These songs are sort of circulated in, in the Lana Stan community. You know, you can find them on Twitter. You can find them on SoundCloud. Say Yes to Heaven first had snippets leaked in 2016. Then in 2020, the full track leaked online. And then last year in 2022, a sped up version made it big on TikTok, prompting an official mm. release of the song in May with a officially sped up version. Officially <laughs> wait, wait, sped wait, wait, up. Wait, wait, wait. What? 
officially. I mean, Lana's no stranger to sped up songs that we talked about on the sped up episode. Her song Summertime Sadness had a really big sped up push. And I think a lot of these more sparsely produced Lana tracks have an impact in that regard because they're so stripped down that when you speed them up, it gets to the point quicker, which I feel like is, is <laughs> you know, one of the purpose of speeding up songs. Takes you out of the cave, puts you on dry land. I, I, I really like this song. I had no idea even that it was recorded in 2014 until my roommate was like, oh, do you know the story about Say Yes to Heaven? And I was like, no, tell me. But I think it can motivate pop stars officially releasing their old leaks through this sort of TikTok proliferation of of these songs. You know, like I, I feel like these songs and, and these leaks that are traded around in fan communities and get sort of like a, a mythological meaning imbued onto them. I, I feel like it would be very easy to translate that sort of buzz into official releases. I mean, even in the hip hop world, that happens all the time. Lil Yachty did it with Poland last year, you know. Bob Dylan has made an entire career off of this, releasing the unreleased material. Uh, but this this isn't, I don't know, unique to me, the fan community's bullying. <laughs> bullying might be strong, too strong of a word, but like pressure from the fans to to create the official release. Interesting phenomena. I'm like, do you really want to be encouraging this? It's kind of like telling every artist, like, you too can have a Taylor's version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do we want this? Hmm. We're great with the segues here because one of the most successful songs on the charts right now is sitting at number two, and that is the Taylor Swift song Karma, but specifically the remix with Bronx based rapper Ice Spice. Karma is your text by the bounce. Karma is the fire in your house. And she bought a pop up and announce. And she never leaving you alone. Watch her put your ops on a throne. Got you So the original was released back in October off of Midnight's. And Taylor has been riding the charts since that release. Similarly, Ice Spice has had a lot of chart success recently. Being on Boys a Liar with Pink Panthers, which peaked at number three, she has three separate credits on the Hot 100, all on remixes, mm. either as the remixer or the remixee. A good niche to, to occupy. It feels like back to what we were commenting on Nicki Minaj, she had for so many years been the sort of number one collaborator on every pop song. Ice Spice seems to be filling that role. Well, I feel like Ice Spice... And I, I don't want the barbs to jump at me for this, but I, I feel like Ice Spice has a lot of similarities to Nicki Minaj. And I, I could see Ice Spice having a Nicki Minaj trajectory where she's firmly placing herself in the sort of bridge between full pop like Nicki does on, you know, Beauty and the Beat, Starships, Moment for Life, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. more serious, you know, hard hitting rap like, you know, the stuff on Roman Reloaded, for example. Ice Spice fits perfectly on this glittering pop production, which is honestly different than the other stuff that she's on, which leans more drill. Karma is your text by the bounce. Karma is a fire in your house. And she bought a pop up and announce. And she never leaving you alone. Watch her put your ops on a throne. You know, honestly, I didn't get it. Uh, to me, like, <laughs> I'll say it. 
people can come for me. I just, it didn't quite work for me in the way that I would have liked. I do think that, that the way that ice comes on the track, like it, it works the best that it could have worked. I think like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it feels like a lot softer to me than, than some of her other stuff. And I think that that blends really well with Taylor's vibe because Taylor is such a, even just vocally, like she's so kind of like within this very specific range and only does certain things. And so it makes sense to me um, in that sense, but I don't know. Overall, I don't think it did the song a lot of favors. I think that it's already so full. Like Rana said, the production is this very glitzy kind of like experience and and I don't think it needed it. I didn't want to like this track because I'm not a fan of the let's re-release a very recently released song with a remix Mm -hmm. with a rapper. And often what is done is like they don't even change the production. It's the exact same timestamp. The song is equally as long and they just put in a new vocal. I hate that approach. It just feels like phoning it in. They at least changed up the production to create space for Ice Spice. That said... This is definitely not the mashup that I was looking for and pure speculation. This doesn't feel like a one of those, oh, we actually are best friends and this just happened naturally kind of thing. This is a legacy artist pairing up with the hot rising new thing and see if we can get a chart hit kind of vibe. Uh, It's the part of pop music that is the sort of most yuck. Yeah, I don't think anybody was particularly asking for this. Someone in A&R, though, is very pleased with themselves right now. Yeah, it's doing great. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's number two right now. We heard songs earlier that lacked repetition in its lyrics here. Uh, Taylor Swift, I think, is partially winning us over just by the sheer repetition of the karma line. She's also all over the charts, motivated by, I think, the Eras tour, I'm sure. And I'm sure oh, yeah. her, her personal life drama Antihero is still at number 11, somehow still netting gains after 32 weeks on the chart. Wow. Hits Different is at 27, which is a Midnight's bonus track, I've gathered. Snow on the Beach is at number 30, which is a re-entry because I I think to bring it back to the bullying artists to do what you want, (laughs) people complain that there wasn't enough Lana Del Rey on the Lana Del Rey feature. So Taylor added more Lana Del Rey, and now the song is charting at number 30. (laughs) Cruel Summer off of Lover in 2019 is at number 45 and is still gaining somehow, where it re-entered last week for the first time since 2019. Lots of Taylor on the chart. And it speaks to what you were talking about earlier, Anna, about the power of fandom, right? That if you're feeling on Mexican regional music is that there just is such a large young fandom for this music in a way that there might not have been in previous decades. The Taylor Swift fandom is enormous and is working very hard and is obviously streaming a lot of this music over and over again, which is helping it propel its way up the charts. So we've gone from Mexican regional to the Taylor Swift phenomenon. But before we go, Anna, I have one more question for you. Do you think there will be more of a Mexican presence on the charts from here on out? Or do you think it's just kind of a momentary, quote unquote, fad in America? You know, I've been joking, telling everyone that the Reconquista is happening and it's happening through Peso Pluma. (laughs) It's a good question. I think it's hard to predict because, again, like we've kind of talked about, the genre doesn't really have the same kind of danceable beats that say like a reggaeton 
is, you know, like it's so disparate from, from what we would consider like your mm. traditional pop sound that I don't know if it's something that's here to stay. I do think generally there's a movement towards kind of returning the epicenter of, of what is the export of music of Latin America to Mexico. It kind of shifted itself to the Caribbean for a little bit with reggaeton and the PR. But traditionally, Mexico has been the lifeblood. It has been really the center for, for centuries. And so I think, if anything, that's maybe what's here to stay is a shift towards towards there. But is regional specifically going to persist as a global phenomenon, only time will tell. I can't say. You know, I've learned today that if fans want something, all they need to do is bully their favorite artists into doing it. So let's get more remixes. <laughs> Go bully your favorite artists to do Go hit them remix. up. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Fans can make it happen. Switched on Pop is produced by Rihanna Cruz, edited by Jolie Myers, engineering by Brandon McFarland, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, community management by Abby Barr. Our executive producer is in the shot Kerwa, our member of the Vox Media Podcast Network, and a production of Vulture. Ooh. You can find those anywhere you get podcasts and on social media at Switched on Pop. Tell us what songs you want your favorite artists to be bullied into releasing. We want to hear it. Lady Gaga, Brooklyn Nights, official release. When? <laughs> oh my God. We'll be back again next Tuesday. And until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.